You know, my addict brain was telling me that I wasn't an addict so that I continue to feed my addiction because okay. it's a disease, right? Like it's a progressive disease. And if you don't treat it, if you don't work at it every single day, mm-hmm. you're just going to end up the end. Go- the end result is jails, institutions and death. Right. It's, it's really serious to say, but it's progressive and it only gets worse. So um, probably took me about four years of really, you know, completely losing myself. I lost my morals, I lost my values. I was a terrible friend. I was a terrible daughter. You know, I just didn't have any integrity. I wasn't honest and I honestly hated myself. Like I really truly hated myself. Mm-hmm. And I got to a physical bottom, you know, I started to notice things, you know, I was the fluctuation of weight, uh, hair loss, you know, constant fatigue, mood swings. Um, I couldn't remember what it was like to feel happiness from the little things. Welcome back to the Well Now Wood podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. I feel like it's been so long since I've done an intro, but I feel like this episode definitely needed one. This is probably on the top there of one of my favorite episodes. Obviously, I know Zakia. We danced together a long time ago, back in the dance days. And this conversation is so, so important. I really wanted to give Zakia a comfortable platform where she can speak about her addiction and her story because she hasn't talked about it publicly. So I was just completely honored that she was able to trust me to carry this conversation. And I think anyone out there, if you're struggling yourself or if you have a loved one, that is struggling or you think they have you know an addiction issue please listen to this episode but again i'll try to put some resources but try to get professional help as soon as possible but zakia offers a really good insight of her journey uh, struggling with that and you know if you're a family member who sees someone going through that how to deal with it how to navigate that again this is her own story it's not applicable to everyone but i think it's really valuable and I feel like it's a topic that needs to be talked about more often so I really enjoyed this episode I'll get straight into it I'll try to include all her links and everything below but enjoy the episode I'm joined by the wonderful Zakia Carmel Zakia is 23 years old she's from Vancouver we actually danced together way back in the day so I think that was over six years ago which is crazy Um, We were in high school, she's a year younger than I was, but we spent a lot of time together dancing. Um, And I'm so excited to have this conversation with Sakia. She is a recovering alcoholic, an addict, but more importantly, she's a daughter, she's a friend, um, a student and a partner. She struggled for upwards of six years with alcoholism, addiction, and an eating disorder. And she's here to share her story of what it's like to go through that and how she got help and where she's at today. Um, and she's wanting to share awareness of what addiction does to a person in their family. Um, so she's hoping to share a part of her story to help someone struggling and to give them hope. And Zaki, I know that you haven't talked about your story so publicly before, so I'm just honored that you're willing to have this conversation with me and that you're trusting me to use my platform. But I think it's, it's, you know, it's a lot and it can be scary to open yourself up so much, but I appreciate you being here and just, again, just sharing more like awareness and light on a situation where there's a lot of misconceptions and there's stigma around it. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, of course. No, I feel honored that you asked me. Mm-hmm. Uh, being open about my story and talking about how I got to the place that I am today, like that's what keeps me sober, keeps me motivated and um, honestly fires me up. It like lets me reflect and think back to like 
how I got here. So yes, no, I'm yes. super happy to Amazing. be on here. And yeah. I missed your face. So <laughs> yeah, I, know. I like for me, I think you know, like I shared on my podcast about an eating disorder, and I was terrified mm-hmm. to do it because I feel like it was not that many people knew unless you were around me every day. Um, but sharing that to so many people was so healing in my own journey. So I'm, I'm happy that you're willing to do this today. So why don't we just kind of get started? Like I've known you when we were high school years, but kind of, can you walk Mm -hmm. everyone through what, you know, your childhood and life has been like, um, and kind of when was the moment that you realized that you needed help? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I grew up in, well, I was born in England and then we moved over to West Vancouver when I was quite young. I started off going to private school. It was an amazing school, taught me a lot of good things. You know, I spoke pretty good French, um, academics was pretty good, but I did experience some bullying and just those feelings of um, just wanting to fit in and not really knowing where I wa- where I stood with my friend groups. And I think I was already starting to feel those feelings of you know, looking at my body and thinking about my image and all that stuff at such a young age now that I look back at it. Um, I moved around. I went to another public school and then uh, went to another public school for high school. Um, I was dancing the whole time. Um, I was dancing since I was like two years old. I think dance played a huge part in my um, body image issues, Mm -hmm. as you can relate to probably. Yeah. And then... So I was dancing a lot. And honestly, now I think about it, dancing kept me out of a lot of trouble. You know, we were so busy. Um, I don't really know if things would have escalated a little bit quicker if I wasn't dancing so much. Yeah, but the feelings were still the same in high school, right? Like I just wanted to fit in and, you know, I wanted to be friends with everyone. I wanted everyone to like me. I, you know, I always felt like I could be prettier. I could have better clothes, all the things, you know, it was just easy for me to pick myself apart. I started, you know, drinking casually while at parties and stuff, probably around grade nine. Now I think about it, it was pretty young, but it was normal, right? Like it was normal to start drinking on the weekend. And when I drank, I drank until I was obliterated. That was just normal. And when I drank, that's when I felt, I felt good, right? Like it was, I had that confidence, you know, that ego kind of, that God complex, maybe even you could say, um, I could have a conversation with ever, anyone, but then the next day, obviously you, you have, I guess that was the start of my guilt and my shame, but nothing really was super bad until after high school. Cause again, I was dancing so much. So I was super busy. Yeah. And then I started to use substances when I got out of high school, I hung out with a lot of older people. I wanted to be part of the older crowd. I had older boyfriends, that kind of thing. So again, I was just trying to be someone I wasn't, um, trying to keep up, catch up to them. Again, it was normalized, right? Like going out on the weekend, going out with a fake ID, going out to clubs underage, going to festivals at a really young age, it was all normal. And to feel like I could fit in with everyone else, I did what everyone else was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, my life started to kind of go downhill, probably first year out of high school. And yeah, how did you, how did you realize that, you know, you needed to get help? Did you have a friend of yours that suggested it? Did you have any family members or when kind of was that, that moment that you're like, I need, I need help. So it probably took about four or five years um, in deep addiction for Mm -hmm. me to 
come to terms with the fact that I was an addict because that label was so embarrassing and shameful and almost gross to me. Mm-hmm. Um, no one really wants to think that about themselves. You know, I was such a go-getter in high school with dance and all these aspirations and goals I had. Mm-hmm. And that label just wasn't something that I wanted to identify with whatsoever. And also, you know, my addict brain was telling me that I wasn't an addict so that mm-hmm. I continue to feed my addiction because it's a disease, right? Like it's a progressive disease. And if you don't treat it, if you don't work at it every single day, mm-hmm. you're just going to end up the end. Go- the end result is jails, institutions, and death. Right. It's, it's really serious to say, but it's progressive and it only gets worse. So um, probably took me about four years of really, you know, completely losing myself. I lost my morals. I lost my values. I was a terrible friend. I was a terrible daughter. Um, I wasn't a good, reliable employee. I was a bad girlfriend. You know, I just didn't have any integrity. I wasn't honest. And I honestly hated myself. Like, Mm -hmm. I really, truly hated myself. Mm -hmm. And I got to a physical bottom. You know, I started to notice things. You know, I was the fluctuation of weight, uh, hair loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, constant fatigue, mood swings. Um, I couldn't remember what it was like um, to feel happiness from the little things. Um, things that used to bring me happiness just didn't anymore. And um, yeah, I just kind of <laughs> burned bridges all over. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of a crazy moment. It's something I like to think the universe put in my lap. Um, this man moved in down my street, probably six months prior to my rock bottom. His name is Jim. And he was walking the dog and my mom was walking the dog and they ran into each other and he loves to chat. And he handed my mom a book and it was his book he wrote about addiction and recovery. And he, yeah, he loves to chat. So he was just super open to talk about how many years he has sober. He's got 45 years clean and sober. And my mom's body language already told him right away that like someone in the family had a problem. And then eventually she felt comfortable the next time she saw him to be like, can you talk to my daughter? I think Mm -hmm. she has an issue. And he was like, you know, uh, of course I'll talk to her, but she has to come to me. Like she has to hit her own bottom to come to me because it's true. Like no one could have said anything to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wouldn't have done anything about it until I hit my own bottom. Mm-hmm. And six months later, like my mom mentioned his name to me before, but I didn't really want to hear it. And then six months later, when I hit my bottom, I remembered his name and I was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go talk to Jim. So I walked down the street He happened to be outside doing something in the front lawn and we chatted a couple days in a row and he was like, yep, you are a substance abuser and an addict. And he would know because he is one. Um, And I just felt comfortable to talk to him about stuff and actually be honest with him because I had been to a therapist before, but I was not honest with her. And he got me into um, a treatment center. And at first I was just horrified at the idea. And again, like embarrassed and shameful, but I was, it's such a low point that I was like, literally, what do I have to lose? Like I've bulldozed everything in my life. What do I have to lose? Yeah. He got me into a treatment center that was pretty hard to get into really fast. It was really nice that he had that connection. He's really connected. Um, so I took that, I took that opportunity and picked up everything, turned off my phone, 
mm-hmm. deleted all social media and just went to treatment. And I was there for, I think I was there for eight or nine weeks, which they told me it would be 30 days. They'll tell you what they can to get you in there. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Back. Yeah. How was that? How was that like for you? And I also, I know that you talked about there was maybe shame or the idea of a treatment center. There is a lot of stigma and misconceptions about it. So why do you think that is firstly? And then secondly, how can we kind of reframe that dialogue and conversation, especially with treatment centers? Yeah. I think maybe the whole idea um, and title of a drug addict or an addict is just taboo, right? Like it has that connotation when you think drug addict, you think downtown East side on the streets, which it's a drug addict as well. But that's the first thing that people think of mm-hmm. and um, kind of that we're taught as you grow up. And that's just not the case. Like addicts are all around us. They're doctors, they're nurses. Like you don't choose to really be one. You choose to pick up that first drug or that alcohol, but the way your brain works and your disease working, it's not, it's not something it's, you have to treat it. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think because of that, that connotation, people just have a negative look at it and they, they look at addicts as if, you know, we chose to do that and we don't care and we don't have a soul Mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I think the idea of rehab, it's the same idea. It's like, Oh God, that person's going to rehab. They're a drug addict, but it, it should be looked at as like, they're going to a place to better themselves. Get help. Yeah. You know, and it's, it takes so much courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Like to put your hand up and ask for help because that's another thing that addicts don't want to do. Right. Like we don't want to ask for help and we don't want to say we're not okay. Putting your hand up and asking for help is the best thing that you can do. Right. Like there's a lot of people that don't get the opportunity to go to treatment and they don't get the opportunity to, to be able to help themselves. And that's really sad. Right. So it's like, when I just changed my mindset about it and changed my perspective, I'm like, look, like, instead of thinking, Oh my God, I can't drink and use for the rest of my life. Or like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to control it for the rest of my life? I'm like, okay, right now in this moment, I'm going to go day by day. And I'm going to try my best to figure myself out, to understand myself, to work through things and just look at it day by day. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really hard. Like, um, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do was be there. You know, you're, I was totally out of my comfort zone. And, you know, part of my addiction was probably my codependency. I have a codependency with my mom and my family and um, just having to be independent over there not being able to pick up my phone and call my parents when something happened or, you know, I didn't get along with the roommate that I was put in there with, but that's all things that you have to work through, right? Like addictions, like a, it's an iceberg and the tip of the iceberg is the substance, right? That you use, that you go to, to try and numb your pain or make yourself feel better, get out of yourself. But all the rest of it is like, why you got to that point. Mm -hmm. So being there, I can't believe I thought I would be okay with just being there for 30 days. Like there's so much to unpack and understand about yourself. Something I found out when I was there, was like my, that I have an eating disorder. Mm, okay. Is yeah. it something that you had realized before? It's something that you'd realize while you were in rehab. Yeah. And I, I mean, like I maybe had ideas, but I just thought it was normal how obsessive in my, like I was in my head yes. about my body and my eating. I thought it was just just what girls were like right it's like it's all you it's all you know like that was the same for me it took me so long to come to terms with it and to realize 
oh, okay, I I have an issue. Or I was kind of more in denial for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, right? And it was my counselor that mentioned to me, hey, maybe you might think about how you may have an eating disorder. And at first I was really defensive about it, which also kind of shows, you know, maybe <laughs> I have a problem if I'm super defensive about it. But the more open to it I became, because it's like in the end of the day, the more I learn about myself, the better I can get. Mm-hmm. So looking at it that way helped me a lot. Um, and it also helped me realize what my story was because when I went in, I was like, I don't have trauma that everyone else has here. Like, I don't deserve to be here. Like, why did I do the things I did? But I do, I do. Everyone has their story and everyone's lived their own life. And I realized a lot of my eating disorder came from, came from dance, you know, like constantly looking in the mirror at yourself and others and, you know, dance, you're literally making positions with your body. So I was, you know, nitpicking my body my entire life. And then social media was a huge part, always comparing myself and, you know, wanting to be something that was just completely unattainable and just having that complete obsession. Cause I didn't necessarily, you know, starve myself or whatever, but just that body, that body image obsession, that obsession in my brain is that's an eating disorder in itself. And I wasn't even aware of that. So it's all things that played into my addiction and low self-esteem in general. That's something I really struggle with. Low self-worth. Yeah. Like self-love is a journey. It's still hard today to say I fully love myself. Like it's an everyday thing and you're always unpacking more about yourself. And yeah, I like myself today Mm -hmm. and I love what I've been doing. So I'm just trying to get to that point where I can really love myself, but um, being at treatment really helped me understand where to, where to start with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just how to understand why I got to the place I was and why, how my brain works, like the science side behind it as well is very interesting. Like, um, you know, they say your addiction's doing pushups in the parking lot if you're not working at it. Right. Right. So the second, like, I can't, I can't rely on yesterday's recovery for today. Okay. I have to be doing something every single day for my recovery you know, to keep me in line because in reality it is true. Addiction is a progressive disease. And if I'm not working at it and I pick up that first drug or that first drink, I'm going to be right back to where I started. Mm -hmm. And that's just not where I want to be. Right. Because I've seen how amazing my life can truly be. And just like the people in my life today are incredible. The relationships I've mended, the relationships with my family, um, you know, I'm in, I have integrity. I'm a reliable employee now. Like it's just crazy. And, um, I'll do whatever I can every single day for my recovery so that I can have that because without my sobriety, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. You should be so proud of yourself. I'm proud <laughs> of you just hearing all of that. <laughs> and you're also so young. Like I know we're similar age, but like being being 23 and kind of going through all that such a young age and figuring it out. That's amazing. Um, And I think a common question that, you know, I have for myself, but a lot of people, whether like they have a loved one that is struggling with addiction, what is something that someone can say like on the outside to someone that's clearly struggling that they haven't, they haven't gone to rehab yet. So they're clearly, there is an issue and how can they come forward with that and how can they help them and support them? You know, it's hard because, I've had, you know, a lot of friends and family members. Once I came out of 
treatment and I've been in recovery and I've been working a program that, you know, they said to me, Oh, I feel so guilty that I didn't, I didn't say something or I didn't say more or, you know, I didn't do something. And honestly, there's nothing that anyone could have said. Um, when I was deep in my addiction, all I cared about was, you know, that next fix and covering up my shame and covering up my guilt because it was so painful. So there's nothing that really anyone could have said. I had to hit my own bottom. So if you are someone and you're noticing someone else in your life is struggling, I would say one of the best things to do is just, you know, maybe let them know that you're here for them. You're always going to love them and you're going to support them no matter what. And you would never shame them for anything and that you'll help them in any way that they can. But at the same time, like, you know, if they are going to continue doing what they're doing, there's, you can't control it. Right. So you do have to detach with love and just be there for them in any way that you can, you know, be there for them when they're ready. Right. So as hard as that may be, um, you do have to wait till that person's ready. You know, you can suggest treatment centers, all that kind of thing. But um, in the end of the day, yeah, they do have to kind of hit their own bottom because I know a lot of people that, you know, they went to treatment and they've been in recovery and they didn't, they went because their parents forced them or they went because people told them they should go and they relapse. Right. right. You got to go for you and you got to do it for yourself. Um, obviously I'm, I did it for my family as well, but I wanted it for myself because I, you know, I'm with myself every single day. Right. So if I don't want it, um, I could be going back out. Right. Right. Yeah. What is something that you wish you had known before, you know, seeking help and going to rehab? Um, that it's not so scary. Okay. You know, it's, it's hard because once you go, you kind of, you're like, oh, I have a problem. Like I had to face myself. I had to look at my bullshit and I had to know that I had an issue. It's not so scary because everyone at treatment centers, like all the counselors, they just want to help you. And the people that you're around, they're all like-minded people. Right. And they're all working towards the same thing. They all want a better life. It's way scarier being back out there than it is in sobriety. You know, it's hard at first, but it's just, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you're thinking, if you're someone that's really young and you think you have a problem, um, just look at it day by day, you know, don't look at it in the big picture. Like, oh my God, I can never drink or party or use or whatever your thing is, whatever your thing is. Um, don't look at it like you can't ever do it again. I looked at it like, oh my God, instead of like, I can't go out and party for the rest of my life. I'm like, oh my God, I get to start my life at 23 because whatever I was doing before clearly wasn't working for me. Right. Sometimes our brains will tell us stupid things like that. Like, oh yeah, yeah, go back out. That, that worked. That was, that was fun. You missed that. And then it's like, let's play the tape forward here. What's going to happen. And like, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is crazy because I am, I think I'm seven months and 12 days clean and sober today, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my brain, it, that's just, what's so crazy about addiction and what your brain will do. Like sometimes it'll tell me like, you know, you could, you could go back out and do it. It wasn't that bad. And it's like, no, that's not the case. And when I feel that I'm like, okay, I need to call my mentor. I need to be doing all the things that I know that I can do. You know, I, I wake up and I pray and I meditate and I read and I spend time with other people, like-minded people. Right. You know, at first, when I first got out, I thought, okay, I'll just go back to my regular life. So if anyone 
you know, is thinking about going to treatment or thinking about going to a sober living, I highly, highly, highly recommend going into sober living because I didn't want to at first. And I just thought I could go back to my regular life, but you think treatment's hard. The hard part is living in the real world and, and navigating back into real life with your new way of living, especially if you're really young and this is your first go. Right. Um, but I highly recommend it because, you know, stick with the women, um, the friendships that you will make are truly authentic friendships and people really give a shit, right? I can pick up the phone and I, I have a list of women that I can call and they'll like, they're people that I don't really know that well, and they'll be willing to be there for me. Right. And, um, that's what it's all about. That's incredible. And, yeah. yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting how you talked about you first got help through your neighbor gym and maybe down the line, maybe that you'll be helping someone. You're yeah, and it just it seems like it's a like a community of people that really care and look out for you and you think that's what like when you're having like a down or bad day do you turn to some form of religion or spirituality like what's the first thing that you kind of do when you're starting to feel down oh the first thing I do is I I check in with myself like for example I used to think I was such an extrovert and I realized Maybe it was the substances and the alcohol that made me think I was. I'm actually a lot more introverted and, you know, I have less of a social battery. So a lot of the time, if I feel something, I'll check in with myself and be like, okay, what is it that I need right now? Like, is it too much stimulation? Am I, you know, people pleasing too much? Am I putting my energy in places that aren't serving me? So I just check in for a second. Sometimes that means I just need some alone time, just some chill time, just to refill my battery. Um, Sometimes I need to make some phone calls. I'm in a program. So sometimes I go into a room full of other people doing the same kind of thing as me, uh, which is amazing. Um, And yeah, I just check in and see what I need. Maybe I meditate, maybe I read, um, go for a walk. It's honestly so simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And once you like make those choices for yourself and you kind of get in that routine and you change those bad habits to good habits, it just, it becomes, it becomes natural, right? Hey, it's me just popping in and saying, if you like this episode, please give a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, wherever you listen and follow me at wellnowatpodcast on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's get back to the interview. Um, like at first, it's not, it wasn't so easy for me to pick up the phone and call, you know, people I don't even really know and be like, hey. Um, but when I did it, you know, my mentor told me, pick up the phone. I want you to call women every single day, um, even when you're feeling good. Right. So that when you're not feeling good, it's easy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so at first I was like, why do I have to do this? And then, um, one day when I was feeling crappy and I I picked up the phone, it was easy because I had a couple women that I felt comfortable calling. And then, you know, just having a conversation, it really helps because, you know, in the end of the day, I would pick up the phone to anyone as well, because that's, what's going to, it's going to help the other person just as much as it helps you. Right. hundred percent. You're both helping each other. And that's just so amazing. Right. Like the community that I've, I've found from this, it's, it's crazy. And also just being in recovery, I've come across so many other people in recovery, just in random everyday life. And that's why I like being honest and open about it because you end up in these really cool conversations with people. And it's really cool to see people with like 10 years, 15 years. And like, just like how much my life has changed in seven, seven and a half months. Like, oh my God, I can't even imagine in years and time, God forbid, you know, something happens, I pray, but, um, but yeah, so 
Incredible. Yeah. So where do you kind of hope to see yourself in the next few months? It doesn't have to be necessarily with addiction or anything, but just with life, with career, where do you hope to see or feel in the next few months? Yeah. Um, so I started taking some school again. Um, so I'm in a course to get my personal training license. So I'm really hoping that that goes well. And um, I've been studying for that. And it's been really nice to be studying with a clear head <laughs> and not being hungover all the time. So I'm hoping to be certified with that. I've got a job right now and I'm hoping to just keep that job, you know, keep working hard. I'm loving that. Um, just continue with my recovery, you know, um, pushing through that, um, working on my steps and yeah, I just hope to continue to mend relationships that have been broken and my family's been healing from it too. You know, it is, it is a family disease and it affects everyone around you. So it's just amazing that my family's been able to heal as well. And slowly we've been, you know, learning more about each other. They've been learning about addiction. You know, no one in my family has, um, is an addict. So they're understanding that and we're getting closer again. And I am living on the Island right now, um, which has been really good for me. So hopefully in a few months, I'll maybe be ready to move out with one other girl. Cause I am living with quite a few sober women right now, but yeah, I'm hoping that's kind of where I'll be at, but in general, I just, I just hope I'm as, as happy as I am now because I truly am happy and I truly feel joy. Like I'm so excited to wake up every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if I've got kind of a quote unquote, like boring day, like it's better than any day when I was outloaded. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can enjoy the little things and romanticize my life and be present oh, for everything that I'm doing. Yeah. So. I love that. And I, I don't know if you want people to know about your TikTok, but I, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I came across them and just came on my feet and all of your just the ones of either you just being so happy and being yourself has just warmed my heart. Like I, I think everyone should check them out. I'll put it, I'll put in the links if you want people yeah. to check out your TikTok. It's yeah. inspiring and it probably helps you to keep going. And I know you talked a little bit about, you know, social media, how that can, you know, can be toxic at times. And do you find TikTok specifically is like a, you know, a safer space for you to share your, your story or yeah. How do you feel kind of about the, about the TikTok platform? Yeah. So I deleted all my social media um, I went to rehab because I also had an addiction to my phone <laughs> in general. Um, and so when I came out, I was very careful about, you know, what kind of media I was consuming and who I was interacting with, obviously, because I just didn't want to have any negativity towards what I had done. Right. But on my TikTok platform, you know, I loved posting my dances. It was my creative outlet. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to give this up. And, um, I was like, okay, well, where am I going to go from here? Am I just going to start posting dances again? Or am I going to be honest? Like, what am I going to do here? And I just decided to be honest. The first thing I posted after months was, you know, 60 days sober and clean, like, and it was just really amazing to see, um, people being so supportive. And I actually had a couple of people reach out as well. And I was like, you know what? Um, any of the things I was worried about, they don't matter if I can just reach one person or make someone smile or make someone have a different, you know, point of view on the whole, the whole thing. So be it. So it's just been really fun for me to, you know, still keep up my dance videos, my day, day in the life, that kind of thing. Um, but then have a little twist, right? Like, you know, a little niche, (laughs) um, add on to that, like, um, and just finding ways to, you know, not make fun, but just kind of 
make light uh, of the situation. Yeah. yeah make light yeah. of the situation and be playful with it. And um, it helps me, right? Like, to just that's such a great, yeah, that's such a great way. Because, <laughs> you know, like TikTok, for example, you could spend hours and it could be, I don't know. It can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming too. So (laughs) I I love the way that you frame that. Um, Before we end the episode, I was hoping to do a few. I usually do a few rapid fire questions. If you want, we can just end on a fun note if you'd like. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, First question. What is your favorite way to sweat? Way to sweat? Definitely a run in the woods. A run in the woods. Growing up on the North Shore, like nothing's better. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. Um, yeah. What is your favorite travel spot? I know there's not that much traveling been done since COVID, but your dream kind of spot to travel to next, if you could. Ooh, dream spot to travel to next. Somewhere hot, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think Tulum. There's this outdoor gym in Tulum and it yes. just, it looks incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Um, <laughs> what is kind of like the best songs or music that kind of puts you in like a good mood? anything high vibrational um there's this uh playlist on my apple music called dance xl love that it always gets me fired up to dance um just anything with a fun beat okay cool yeah yeah okay yeah. um what do most people don't what do most people don't know about you oh that's a hard one um i sing i love to sing I feel like you might, you were in musical theater. I never was. (laughs) I can't sing at all, but like, oh, okay. I feel like I was probably never in your musical theater class, but that doesn't surprise me actually. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wrote a song with a girl I moved in with here. That's an addict as well. Really? um, We wrote a song about, she wrote a song about addiction and um, we recorded it. Oh my, is it out on all the platforms and what? Yeah, like- it is. Okay. Okay. Let me send me the link and I'll put it in the notes. I will. Okay. I will. Yeah. So that was fun to do That's to so tap into those things now that I'm not loaded all the time. <laughs> um, okay. F- two more questions. Uh, what's the best advice you've received? Oh, okay. What is meant? You're not going to miss out on anything because what is meant for you will find you. Hmm. That just brings me peace when I'm trying to have control over things yeah. and, oh my God, this didn't go the way that I planned it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what is meant for me? will find me. Yes. And I'm in the right place. So that's yeah. simple. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and this one's kind of a similar one, but what's kind of like a mantra that you live by, like a simple sentence or words that kind of keeps you going? Oh, that's hard. Kind of something similar to that. Like it's for me, you know, oh yeah, I really struggle with that control piece and um, needing things to go my way and all that. So I just always think like, it's kind of cliche, but everything happens for a reason, right? That's what um, I live by. I know it is cliche, yeah, but it's just kind right? of, so much of the stuff that we have in our life is just out of our control. If it's meant to be, it will be exactly whatever will be will be you know like whatever's meant for me will find me you know like as long as i'm just trying working as hard as i can every day to be my best self um yeah everything will happen everything will will pan out how it's supposed to and it may not make sense at the time something may happen and you know i'll be like what the hell was that for what what could that what could that possibly be for but then later in time you'll realize and that's why i don't regret anything that's happened to me because um or that i've done because it may have been crappy or shitty but it brought me to exactly where I am now. And I would not be the same person I was, I am now. And I would not know the things I know. So 
And now you're able to, you know, share your story and help others. And I'm sure you will. But yeah, thank you so much for today and for sharing your story. I know it's, you know, it's, again, I I would be scared or a little scared and nervous. So thank you so much. Is there any resources or information that you'd recommend for people to check out um, just in general about addiction? Uh, uh, Something that I went to was recovery day. that was downtown in New West. There's a really amazing recovery community there. Just if, if you're struggling, reach out. Like, don't go up in your head alone. It's not it's not a fun neighborhood. It's not a safe neighborhood to go in alone. And, um, you know, you'll be surprised at who will not judge you and will just love you through it. And there's so much light on the other side. It's so much better on the other side than out there. So, you know, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. And if people do judge you, like those people don't matter. And it's probably because they're looking in the mirror, right? Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I'm, I'm so glad we have this conversation. I know that's gonna help a lot of people. And even for me, just kind of hearing your point of view and if I can help someone else in my life. So thank Aww. you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on here.